Hello, and welcome to My First Time at Yoga. I'm your host, Lisa Simpson. Let's dive in. Okay, welcome. So, I'm so excited you're here. I'm Lisa. Um, from Yoga with Lisa and the founder of the Rebellious Love Project. And I'm here with Diane Bondi, and I'm super excited to be here so that you're here with me. So Diane is a celebrated yoga teacher, social justice activist, and leading voice of the Yoga for All movement. Her inclusive view of yoga asana and philosophy inspires and empowers thousands of followers around the world, regardless of their shape, size, ethnicity, and level of ability. Diane contributes to Yoga International, Do You Yoga, and Elephant Journal. She is featured and profiled in international media outlets such as The Guardian, Huffington Post, Cosmo, People, and more. She is a spokesperson for diversity in yoga and yoga for larger bodies, as seen in her work with Pennington's, Gayam, and the Yoga and Body Image Coalition. Her work is published in the books Yoga and Body Image and Yes, Yoga Has Curves. Woo, girl, that's amazing. Just reading that makes me excited. I get excited hearing all your amazing things. Oh, and she's a fellow Canadian, which is also amazing. Canadians in the house. Canadians in the house. Yes. Okay. So first off, thank you for joining me. I'm really excited you're here. And tell me a little bit about, actually, we're just going to dive in. I want to know about your first time going to yoga. Tell me about that. Going to an actual studio. Yeah, going to a studio class. Well, I had, prior to going to a student class, I had a solitary practice, like practice with my mom. My mother introduced me to yoga when I was around three years old. So I had been practicing for a while. But you know what yoga with your mother is at three, right? Like you guys pick out a bunch of poses, you're goofing off on the mat. It's just kind of mommy and me fun. But it was something that we did for a long time, and it became a regular part of my um, existence, like from a very early age. So I didn't even know that you could go out and do yoga in a yoga studio until about uh, the early 2000s, which would have been the first time I had ventured out. And uh, the first public yoga class that I ever took, um, if I want to go back to the very, very first yoga class I ever took, is somebody was bringing a uh, celebrity, a yoga celebrity, a really well-known yogi uh, to Windsor. And so they had rented a hall in a church and they had the hall probably comfortably fit. I want to say maybe 80 people. And there was like 120 people in that room (laughs) with like no ventilation, right? Because it's it's an old church. The windows didn't open at that particular point. It had that old building smell. Like if you've been in an old school or an old church, it had the smell. We were all crammed in literally mat to mat to mat to mat to mat. And we came in and I had been teaching a class somewhere else. And I had like, I just did these little community classes and I had was running late when I got to this. So of course the last spaces that were available were like right in front because you know everybody comes to class and lines up their mat in the back or off to the side so I am front and center and I'm just like mortified because I'm sitting right in front of this super famous teacher and I've never taken a public class before you know I've taught a class but I've always just practiced by myself and the room was so hot and Uh. everyone 
so close. And somebody had had garlic or maybe Lebanese food, like, and was beside me, like, literally passing gas. And then on the <laughs> other side of me was this guy who had taken off his shirt partway through the class. And so this is, like, I'm never in a class, so I don't know that this is a thing, right? So this guy takes off his shirt, and I'm, first of all, I'm like, oh, what's happening, right? And, <laughs> and he is, like, sweating profusely because it's a million degrees. And every time he moves, the sweat drips off his body and either hits my mat oh. or it hits me. Oh. And I cannot focus on my breath. I cannot focus on what's going on in the room. And, I, and, this, and this teacher, you know, starts with this very convoluted story about his focus like he's not a great focuser he called himself a nose picker I don't know if I should say his name but um he was he was talking like he was a very entertaining teacher and at that point like I said I'd only practice like by myself or with my mom and he was teaching a flow and he was rhyming the flow and he was cursing while he was teaching and dropping the f-bomb and I was just I I didn't know what I had signed up for <laughs> like a party or a class and then these two guys next to me farting and sweating on me. And I was just like, maybe this public yoga practice isn't necessarily for me. So he spends an hour talking about himself and his journey to yoga. And then proceeds to teach like a two-hour class. So we are in this super oh. hot, super confined space. And I know as a yogi that you kind of don't just roll up your mat and leave when you've had enough. You're, you know, that the etiquette is to stay to the end. It was all my energy to stay to the end of that class because literally I was feeling like I was breathing in other people's exhaled breath. Like it was, oh. it was not a positive <laughs> experience. And then I thought to myself, I'm good. I don't need to go to a studio if this is what being in a studio space is like. And then the second time I went to a studio, the people who had hosted this really famous yoga teacher had a very popular studio downtown. And I went downtown and uh, the, that's when I got that initial, initial reaction towards like body shaming, that when I went up to the front desk to sign in, there was this instant judgment from the person who was signing me in, you know, giving me the once over. And uh, I remember the instructor saying to me, you know, this is going to be hard, right? Like what kills me is when we see a fat yogi, and this is what, what dawned on me in the moment, is when we see a person in a bigger body, a larger body, abundant body, a curvy body, a fat body, however you identify in the body that you're in, um, we don't assume that they've done yoga before. So, you know, the thinner yoga practitioner comes up and signs in and they don't say to her, have you done yoga before? And they don't say to her, it's going to be hard. And who knows if she's done yoga before or not. But the reaction to me is always like, have you done yoga before? You know, you know, it's going to be hard. You know, um, that whole mentality of do what you can, which is code for, I don't know how to work with your body and I'm not going to modify my class or change my class to accommodate you. So you need to take child's pose or there's always child's pose and all that nonsense. So that was my second experience, which mm. had I not been a seasoned practitioner already, would have turned me off completely. And so I still, to the most part, get those types of reactions when I roll up to a yoga studio. I'm always really nervous to go to a new space. I was in Toronto back in April and May doing some work in Toronto, and I decided to check out what was, you know, in my neighborhood. And there was always like 11 yoga studios, like five minutes from my hotel. Yeah. So for the four days I was there, I just went to all of them, as many as I could get in. And, uh, you know, I had a couple of really positive experiences with, like, uh, a yoga student, and then there was one where, you know, the same 
once over, this is a challenging class. I can't really slow it down for you. So you're going to have to just do what you can. And then this is how I react. I always go like this, mm, I'll just do what I can. And that's how I respond back to them. And then when I can do uh, everything they're doing and maybe some more, the reaction is always something different. So I'm hoping that they can stop with that judgment now that they've been exposed to, you know, they look at me, they have a judgment about what I'm going to be able to do or how, and, and then I break that stereotype for them. And I hope that next time they encounter somebody, they might not make that judgment right away. And I also want to be careful to let people know that not everybody and every plus size body, fat body, abundant body, however you identify can do all the same thing. So also not mm -hmm. to make those assumptions as well. I agree. And I know like in my classes, when I teach, I just, I say overall, like there's 20 people in this room, 20 bodies. We're all different. We're all going to do what we can do today. And that might be different than yesterday. It's probably different than tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But for today, regardless of your size, regardless of your, um, the shape of your body, we're just going to do the best we can. And yeah, it's unfortunate that though a lot of times you know, even if you're slightly curvy, even if yeah. you just are anything other than, you know, the long lined kind of stick figure yogi, we get those that kind of, oh, it's going to be a tricky class. Like, are you sure you know what you're doing? Like, and that idea that we can't modify for people is kind of mind blowing. Like, why are we not making the best attempt? And you know why? And I believe it's because yoga teachers aren't taught totally it's because and that's i i want to believe that uh, i want my most benevolent belief around this is that they just don't know right mm -hmm. they haven't had enough training and let's be honest i've done um, i've done a ton of 200 hour trainings like taken them and taught them i think i've taught maybe nine or ten 200 hour trainings and if you pull out your standard textbook that we use so i use a lot of the mark stevens textbooks when i'm teaching mm -hmm. I think they're really well put together. However, when you look at those books, they're always very thin, very flexible, very long limb people who are the pictures within the book. Yes. So you never actually see a book of, you know, a larger body person doing the same pose and how that would look and what kind of variations we want to create for those people who may be working with um, just a different ability. That's mm -hmm. not taught. And if it is taught in the 200 hours, it might be a specialty weekend where you might spend three or four hours on it. It's not really the bulk of the 200 hours. So I really think the 200 hour platform for yoga teacher training misses so much and i think it would behoove yoga alliance to either kick it up to 250 or kick it up to 300 and spend some time on you know specialized populations and make that mandatory uh spend some time on body image because there is a lot of disordered eating and um practices within yoga that people <laughs> have manipulated um, to support a, di a disordered or dysfunctional type of eating lifestyle you know Absolutely. all about everybody in their cleanses, right? Absolutely. So, right? So there's a lot of these spiritual practices that people use as a guise to perpetuate um, some disordered eating practices. That totally needs to be addressed. Um, diversity within the yoga community and on the mat. Who's doing yoga and why? Who's represented in yoga and why? 
Who do we not see on the mat and why? Those are all things that need to be addressed within this particular culture of yoga because we really made it an elitist practice, um, you know, designed for the rich, designed for the educated, mm -hmm. and for the most part, designed for people who are fair-skinned. Like, we don't generally see a lot of people of color on the mat, which is always very interesting to me, seeing as this is a practice that was created by a South Asian culture, by a brown yeah. So. Yeah. Why not have everybody, you know, on the mat? And so I think those are all the things that need to be addressed. And it isn't anything I haven't said to Yoga Alliance myself. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, these are some of the limitations. And then we also have to address uh, certain fat phobias and stereotypes that yoga teachers have uh, internalized from a fitness culture that we have been fed for the past 50 years. So if you're 50 and below, you probably grew up with the Atkins diet. You probably grew up with your mother eating cottage cheese and some kind of melon and people always being in this diet culture, this mm -hmm. ideal, this, you know, this, this is what a healthy body looks like ideal. And we have to address that because that certainly has turned up on the mat as well. Absolutely. I, you spoke the words right from my own mouth. And I know as a yoga teacher who is in a larger body, I never know how to word that. Like mm -hmm. just, I just have a non-conventional yoga body is yeah. kind of the way yeah. I put it. Non-conforming. Non yeah. yeah. And I know for me, um, when I walk into a yoga studio, I get that same kind of like, oh, you know, I don't know how this class is going to work in your body. And and I just think, well, okay, don't know. You're not going to know until we see it on the mat, right? And I, but I, yeah, I totally agree with the Yoga Alliance thing. And we're just not taught. I've taken, you know, multiple yoga trainings. Some, I've done a 350, I've done a 200, a couple 200s, like multiple. And never one time did I see a body that looked like mine. Totally. And okay. even in some trainings that I've seen advertised for, um, inclusivity, the bodies still don't look like mine. Like they're training, um, they're training their yoga instructors to work with a wider variety of bodies, but still using the conventional body shape. Well, how on earth does that work? Like I have, <laughs> I have parts that like my knee is not going to ever come right into my chest because there's, there's skin there, right? Like there, it's just never going to happen. And if you're large chested, you know, doing, um, I can't think, a shoulder stand can be unbearable, but we're still, so we're not, we're just not teaching how to be accessible in all the bodies. And I do agree that it should be mandatory because when you show up to teach a class, the chances of you having a range of bodies is very high until yeah. those range of bodies realize that maybe it's not for them. And that's the sad part to me. That's when people start to think, well, it's yoga's just not for me because I'm not represented and I can't feel comfortable in this class. So totally. And representation matters. And I can't mm -hmm. say that enough. And that's one of um, the uh, qualities or one of the ideals that we really talk about in the yoga and body image um, coalition that we aren't seeing enough different bodies represented and our reaction to a different body is um, problematic, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I, I can't tell you how many teacher trainings and workshops I've been to where I'm the fattest person in the room. And when I use the term fat, I don't have a negative connotation to the word fat. For me, fat is a descriptor, like my skin is brown or I'm wearing a black 
shirt or whatever. It just, it's just, you know, a descriptor I have found on my body and nobody makes any kinds of concessions or knows how to teach beyond, I think what they're familiar with in their own bodies. And I think the biggest problem I have is people's, um, not only people's lack of understanding, but just lack of empathy or almost like this idea of disgust when somebody large or larger shows up to a, a class. And I had a situation happen not too long ago that I'm still processing. A friend of mine um, is in a teacher group, um, like, you know, a Facebook group. And she was making mention of, you know, it's really important for teachers to take trainings. Um, with larger bodies and when I take uh, when I teach trainings because I travel the world and teach trainings I'm always really careful when I'm demoing people. I say listen. This is a learning environment I'm going to call on those of us who are in larger bodies to come up and demo because I need Those people who are not in larger bodies to see what anatomy looks like in a body of this size and see what anatomy looks like in a person who may not have use of their legs. So I'm dealing with somebody in a wheelchair. I'm dealing with somebody with a walker. Like I really make a point of pulling from the room, those people who uh, probably will need the most help in adjusting the practice to fit them. And I ask them, I go, this is a learning environment. We all want to be able to help you and you are going to be the best example. Like I want you to be honest and tell me when you go to a yoga class, what are some of the challenges you've had with the teacher? And let's break that down so teachers can hear this. Mm -hmm. So this is your platform for representation. I want to make sure your voice is heard in this moment and that we can all learn from this experience. And then we address whatever comes up in those moments. And Believe you me, a lot of stuff comes up in those moments. But I think that's really important that we all take some kind of training. And if you are not interested in teaching to non-conforming bodies, for you know, lack of a better term, um, if you're not interested, make sure you put that in your bio. Mm -hmm. I'm only teaching super flexible, super fit um, mm -hmm. people, people who are going to have no kind of physical struggle at all. These are the only people I want in my class because it's just, it's, that's not what humanity is. Humanity is a spectrum. So we have to learn how to teach on the spectrum. Absolutely. And I think that, I think people try to do that with their like level one, level one slash two, but I could easily go to a level two class in my non-conventional yoga body. Um, and probably rock it out, right? Totally. Like, and so to be like to say, I think that people are trying to do that, you know, trying to keep uh, this like bubble around their different levels. But I agree. I think that if you don't, if you're not comfortable teaching a certain population for your, because you have a lack of understanding, a lack of compassion, a lack of knowledge, it should be out there so that you don't have those people showing up. Yeah. And feeling uncomfortable because. Yeah. They may never go back again. It's true. And, and we lose you. that. We lose, they lose the opportunity and we lose someone that could really benefit from our yoga classes. And who knows how that's going to make you feel as well as a teacher and how does that energy radiate out? Like if you were yeah. just not prepared and now you're petrified mm -hmm. or you don't know what to do or you're hostily ignoring somebody, all that shows up in everybody's practice. No, not just the person who's struggling. It shows up all through the class. I kind of consider it the same way as if you decide when your class is laying in Savasana to grab your phone mm. and start checking your social media or whatever, you, you technically left the class now. So that energy also shows up in the class so if you're going to show up, show up like show up all the way yeah right? I agree so 
Um, so great. So many things. We could chat for hours, I'm sure. Um, can you tell me just a little bit about how yoga has impacted your life and how teaching yoga as someone, you know, in that non-conventional body, how has that impacted your life? I know that's a long, like, give me the Coles Notes version. <laughs> I'll do my best. I tend to be long-winded. That's so okay. Really hard. Um, for me, initially, when I started teaching, there was a lot of resistance. And my yoga community where I live is pretty much, I would say, in its, like, juvenile stage. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think we've had yoga here for maybe longer than 20 years. I mean, there's been like one particular teacher who I would say is the matriarch. She was like kind of one of the first teachers. She taught a very basic Vinny style yoga stuff that was just really focused on breathing and just really focused on gentle movements. And then the power yoga crowd, when that became popular in the late nineties and early two thousands showed up and then everything was about powering through and powering through and having this yoga body. So, mm -hmm. um, a lot of the places here that I experienced um, uh, were very fat phobic and, and very unfriendly. So when I showed up teaching, there were teachers out in the community who were questioning my abilities. And um, some of it I think is also based on the color of my skin because I notice in yoga culture, um, being white elevates you to expert pretty quickly. So if you just quickly think of um, the yoga celebrities and experts in the past 20 years, like not looking at the past three years when we've seen the rise of Jessamyn Stanley and things like yeah. that, let's think of prior to that. Let's think of prior to say 2014, who were heralded as the yoga celebrities and who were heralded all those as the gurus and whose workshops were you going to? So I certainly felt that backlash, right? That, mm -hmm. you know, first of all, I'm not a size, you know, whatever. Um, I am highly flexible and very strong and I've just always have been. I come from genetic privilege. I have parents who were athletes. Mm -hmm. So um, I just swim in that genetic pool, right? And so and the same thing has happened with my kids. They swim in that genetic pool as well. But there was always a question of my authenticity. There was always a question around my training. There was always a question around my ability. And that was solely based on what I look like. It wasn't based, you know, and, and I could feel it and I knew it. And I spent a lot of my time acquiring as many certifications as, and as much training as I can so that I could say to them, you know, your, your bias is based on my appearance, not on any training I've had. So I found that that was really hard. I found when I first opened my yoga studio, I used a lot of stock photos. I never had photos of myself because I was worried if I put myself out there in this, um, you know, in this culture that was really, really based on this thin ideal aesthetic that nobody was going to come to my yoga studio. And it was actually the opposite became true. And I learned this at like a Betsy Downing workshop that my bet biggest asset for building um, my business for one and for getting people who wouldn't ordinarily feel comfortable um, being on the mat was to show myself on the Absolutely. mat. Absolutely. The Absolutely. Person, right? People would look and go, oh, she's my size. Maybe I can do this. And so that turned the tide for me. That was really, it felt kind of felt like our space kind of felt like yoga for everybody else. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It was like the, uh, one of my girlfriends call it the mummy, yummy mummy studio where everybody was decked out in that moo moo melon wear and, you know, talking about their smoothies or whatever the heck there's kale smoothies or whatever. And then there was the rest of us who just lived regular lives and shopped at, you know, Kmart or yeah. sellers or yeah. you know, C 
theaters and bought her, bought her yoga clothes at Costco. And we just were like regular people trying to get a little bit of peace of mind and a little bit of understanding of who we are outside of this other particular culture. So um, we, came, we kind of became the anti-culture around yoga where you just showed up as you were. We had blocks, we had props, we had teachers who were of different cultures. We had teachers who were in bigger bodies. You know what I mean? We really, I really tried to break that mold and stop listening to the chatter of what was going on in the, in the yoga community at large who were questioning, you know, my, my credentials. And it was funny because this stuff always would get back to me. Like there was one particular yoga teacher in town who would talk about me in her classes, which I thought oh. to myself, really a reflection of you. I don't know if you kind of understand that, but yeah. there's some self-study that goes on there with you because I'm certainly not talking about you in my classes. I'm trying to meet my students where they are. Wow. Yeah, that's, I mean, so much of our stories is so similar. I also hid a lot. I, I never wanted to be seen because I thought people wouldn't, wouldn't want to see my body. And yet, as soon as I started showing up in photos and doing, you know, some YouTube classes and things like people really love it because they get to see someone who is you know, more like them, maybe. I'm just a regular mom. I sometimes do yoga in my living room where there are socks piled under the couch and dust bunnies. And yep. sometimes I go to studios, but I typically like to practice on my own because for all the things we've already talked about, a lot yep. of the, the kind of ideas that people have, the judgments that they have as soon as they see me. Mm. And I, so I like to practice on my own a lot too, mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. It's that whole idea of just breaking down those boundaries because, you know, we all should feel safe going to yoga. We all should feel accepted. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we may not see another body like ours in a yoga class, but if we know that we are safe and accepted and comfortable, then it doesn't matter if there's not another it's body true. like ours. It's true. And I'm a big fan of specialized classes. I'm a big fan of, I know that feels very exclusionary and to a certain degree it is, mm -hmm. but what that tells people is you may not feel comfortable or welcome in other spaces, but I want you to know that you are welcome here. And they may come to those um, particularly, you know, plus size classes, curvy yoga, round body yoga, or some of the more familiar ones, yoga for round bodies, which is Tina Veer. Um, but um, I think if they're going to those classes, they learn the different variations that are going to work for their bodies. And then they are able to um, go to a, a, you know, a regular class and know how to manage their, uh, their, their bodies in asana, even when a teacher may not know. Absolutely. So, you know, I found that when I did those specialty classes, people were in them, but people didn't necessarily stay in them, right? Mm -hmm. Like some people felt comfortable and didn't want to go anywhere else, which is fine. And I wanted to provide that safe space for them. But some people started feeling really confident and showing up. And I just remember at the beginning of any of those specialty classes that I offer, I would just say to them, uh, my goal in this particular practice, whether it was intro to yoga, plus size yoga, yoga for seniors, whatever it was, uh, is that you will feel comfortable going into any yoga class or any yoga studio in town because you will know how to work with your body and you won't have to feel bad that the teacher is clueless around how to you know how to create uh, variations for you amazing so great I love it I love it so much and when I had my own studio in Alberta I did the same thing I had a curvy yoga class I mean 
I attracted women of all shapes and sizes and they all would come to all the classes, which was awesome. But I did set up one specific class for that reason, to help women feel, and men, but mostly women, feel comfortable in their bodies so that then they would have that confidence to come to the, like all the regular, you know, on the schedule classes, or they could go anywhere and be comfortable knowing how to modify things or just how to move in their bodies. Because a lot of times, no, we don't even need modifications. A lot of times it's just, you might have to use your hand to help your foot get to your wrist instead of, but so we think we have to do a modified pose when really it's just this little alter, like alternative movement or a slight addition to something. And anyways, yeah, it's really amazing. So And I think it's really empowering to give people the tools and the awareness on how to work with their bodies. And when I teach online, I teach online for, uh, for Gaim and for yoga international. Um, and when I teach online and and for 108 yoga, um, I really make sure I let people know that there are tools that help us get into the poses that not all of our bodies are built the same way. You, You can take five, uh, you know, thinner or smaller or flexible bodies and have them do the same pose and it's not going to look the same in those five bodies the same way it's not going to look the same in five bigger bodies. So let's get over this idea that there's some kind of perfect idealized shape that we're trying to get to and that let's see how we feel and let's use some props and let's go to the wall and let's take our time. Let's slow it down and let's figure it out because your body's showing up for you the best way it knows how. And it just needs a little help to get where it needs to go. And we just need to let go of these expectation and these ideas around what is expected in a yoga class, because those are all conventional um, ideas that come from, I think, a very damaging fitness culture. I could not agree more. I am so sick and tired of the line your front heel up with the middle of your back heel in warrior one. First off, you show me a person, a regular person who has a desk job or sits a lot, who can line their hips up square to the front of the, like without blowing out their knee. When I, I just, it didn't make sense to me. And when I taught my teacher training, I said, we are throwing that out the window. If that works for you, great. Let your hips be where they need to be. Feel this in your body and encourage your students to feel it in their body. Play around with different locations of your feet, different locations of your hands, because everybody is different. And trying to fit us all into this box is just, it's mind boggling to me that we're still teaching yoga teachers to follow this. Like we even have yoga mats now that tell you where to put your feet. Like I just, I'm very short. I have 28 inch inseam. Like my legs don't go that far apart on a yoga mat where someone else who's taller, they can have that really long. Anyways, I, again, I could talk about it for hours, but it just is mind boggling how we're trying to fit everybody, even, you know, thin, flexible bodies. Like you said, Five people, same, they could have a similar body shape. They're going to have different abilities on the mat. Their poses are going to look different. So we we can't assume that they're all going to fit the same shape because we're just not. It's It's crazy. And we're we're not designed to do that. I always say to people, can you imagine if everything was the same? Like everything was the same. 
could you even imagine? Like, because everything is different, we can have a feeling of what it would be like if everything were the same. Think of all the things you would miss out on in life because there's no diversity or variety. Like my favorite food to eat in the world is Vietnamese food. Mm. And I'm always so sad because I live in a suburb that there's no Vietnamese restaurants. Like I got trekking to town. These are my first world problems, right? Yeah. <laughs> to get Vietnamese food and bubble tea and all the things I love. But if there were no diversity and if we didn't accept diversity in Canada and if we didn't celebrate other cultures, I would never get to eat Vietnamese food and I'd be devastated. I would, you know, like these are the things I think about. Everybody's body is different. Everybody's experience is different. We want people to feel good and not defeated because we already feel defeated in so many other aspects of our life. Can this 24 by 68 piece of plastic or rubber or whatever people are making mats out of today, can that just be a moment of peace? Like, can that be a ceasefire zone where I'm not trying to look like somebody else, where I'm not just trying to lose weight, where I'm not complaining about my body? Can, can, can I have one place in my life where seeking perfection is not necessary? And when seeking perfection through... Um, degradation and self-loathing is not the path to personal greatness can there be somewhere where that does not occur oh and I my gosh in my yoga practice like seriously yes. I think this like be better do better be smaller no 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 be where you are and accept where you are and there's nothing wrong with wanting to get faster or more flexible but can that shouldn't be the outcome right or that shouldn't be the goal I should yeah. say the goal should be can I be with myself can I be with my breath? Can I be thankful for whatever it is my body can offer me at this time and leave the rest of it alone? Like, can I be with myself? That is the big one. Like, can I be with myself? Because I think for most of us, we live from here up. And I speak to this in my classes every time that we need to stop being from here up and you're 60, 75 minutes, whatever it is, 20 minutes, five minutes on your mat is the chance for you to connect everywhere, to feel into your body. How are you feeling today on a body level, on a heart level, on a cellular level? What does your body need? And I agree, like this yoga mat, that time, whatever it is, if it's five minutes a day, that is your, the, I like how you use the ceasefire zone. Like it's yeah. such a perfect phrase because we are bombarded all day, every single day with messages. Mm -hmm. And so if we can create that safe place on our mat mm -hmm. where that ceasefire, that's where magic happens. It's not the poses. It's yep. not getting into these shapes. It's, it's learning to be comfortable in your body the way it is and dropping, like putting this little bubble around yourself so all those messages don't get in and you can have a moment of peace. Peace. <laughs> yeah, peace from whatever. Maybe it's peace from folding laundry, right? Like, it doesn't have to be this big, profound thing all the time. It can literally be just peace to just breathe, yeah. you know? And, oh. and that's the magic of it, really. Mm -hmm. oh. and, when, and when you so step amazing. into that, then everything else in life gets better. Right? Absolutely. And Absolutely. then your awareness and your consciousness is lifted. And you can stop taking in these messages when you step off your mat. That's the mm -hmm. bigger... That, that, that's the progression, right? Yeah. You're in this piece on your mat, and then you're able to deal with these constant bombarding of negative yeah. imagery which, uh, and messaging. So this is part, part of our own self-care, 
part of our own self-awareness, part of our own self-reflection, and it's huge. And Absolutely. we to make space for that. That's so great. I just agree every, with everything you're saying. So why don't you tell me what you're doing in the world right now? Like, what are you up to? Share some of your awesome stuff. And so we know where to find you. And I'll put all the links and stuff in too after. But like, tell me what you're up to. So I've been very fortunate. I've had kind of a quiet summer, but prior to that, I was traveling all over. So I create a lot of content for Yoga International. So if you're ever interested in practicing with me online, I've got this 15-minute um, series on Yoga International that I do because some of us only have 15 minutes, some mm -hmm. of us only have five minutes to kind of break the idea that you have to have 90 minutes or 75 minutes or an hour to practice. That practice can happen anytime, anywhere. Um, I also check out my website, Diane Bondi Yoga. I have a free download there for anybody who wants to take a class with me. And starting in September, I'll be gallivanting around the world. I'll be coming to California to do a Yoga for All training. So I'll be in the Los Angeles, Santa Monica area. In October, I'm running off to Yogaville, and I'll be doing a Yoga for All training uh, in Yogaville. I'm trying to think of everything that's on my website. <laughs> in November, I'm heading off to Jamaica. I'm doing a body love retreat weekend where we just Amazing. go and love our bodies. And you know what I love about going to the West Indies? I'm a West Indian. I'm from uh, uh, Barbados. Is curvy bodies are celebrated. Mm. So kind of like part of the standard of beauty. Like it's part of the range of beauty to be in a larger body. So it, it feels to me a lot more accepting in places like there. That there, the, um, where a body like that is kind of revered as beautiful. Whereas a curvier, fatter body here is somehow disgusting, right? Mm. So... Um, I really love visiting places like that where the cultural beauty norm is slightly different and you can see what it's like not to be um, an object of either pity or <laughs> somebody they need self-improvement or whatever that you can kind of just be. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing that and I have like a whole list of where I'm going to be awesome. in all of, on my website, Diane Bondi uh, Yoga, and I'm going to be starting a podcast in September, so I'm really awesome. that. Um, I've been, I listen to a lot of podcasts, I love being on podcasts, so it, I thought to myself, why not do one? There's some interesting people in the world I want to talk to, and this will be a good excuse to talk to them, so yeah. Um, so I got a lot going on, so check out Diane Bondi Yoga, and you know, you can follow me on uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook and Twitter and I usually share where I'm going to be so I might be in a place near you I think I'm also going to St. Louis and uh, Wisconsin Madison Wisconsin like there's a lot awesome I'm, I'm in summer brain right now because yeah anywhere for the next couple months I've forgotten where I'm going in September but you can check it out on my website awesome you're going to link to it in the uh, I am yeah yeah so thank you yeah thank you so much for coming thank you for having me